Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Hello, Boston and the entire NBA world. Welcome to our very own Banners broadcast here on... Celticsblog.com and CLNS Media before we open up this show. Let me tell you about our good friends over at CLNS Media who are supporting us, getting going on this show, a variety of great other programs available over there, including us. So if you want to have the easiest access to our show every single week, as well as many other great shows, be sure to Subscribe over at the CLNS Media app. You can download it on Android, Apple. Anything you got as a phone besides a flip phone is going to be good for you. And you can also subscribe to us, as you know by now, on iTunes, on Stitcher. We are live and direct across the whole podcast world. So let's open this up. With the week that was, normally we don't have much to talk about here at this time of summer, but of course, we have a bevy of stuff to go over today, and we will do it all with Jared Weiss, who you heard on the very first edition of this program. Let's open it up with the first thing we heard this week, the Woj podcast, probably a podcast that you're more familiar with. At this point, one of the kings of the information in the NBA world is Adrian Wojnarowski. And he talked with Gordon Hayward this week about none other than his trip to the Celtics, what got him here, what sent our man Avery Bradley out of town, and gave us a whole new look roster to be excited about this weekend. I thought one of the more interesting things we heard in there was how he said the Brad Stevens factor was overstated in... Him coming to Boston, everyone made too big of a deal out of it. We're not besties, as he said. But we also heard in this podcast that the guy who picked him up at the airport in a chauffeur-like style was none other than Brad Stevens himself with Mika Shrewsbury by his side. So they're there in Logan Airport, I assume. Just Brad Stevens, assistant coach Shrewsbury, standing there. I assume with a sign that says Gordon Hayward, waiting for him to come through. And that was that. They went out. They got lost a couple of times. They met with Isaiah Thomas. They met with Al Horford. 
And that was that. So, pretty much, it seems like this intimate style that the Celtics are going with on these free agent journeys. And maybe they won't have too many more in the near future because they're capped out at this point. But they went that route with Al Horford, having everybody close-knit, personal, right up and out front with them, not the police escort they had in Miami. They had these players coming back from their offseason to meet exclusively with this guy, which she said worked wonders for him. So I, I just got to say, brilliant job by the Celtics and how they execute these free Asian pitchers to both Al Horford, Gordon Hayward. In back-to-back seasons, you have two of the biggest free agent signings in the team's history. And maybe you can attest it to the situation they've set up here, but you have to win the pitch. And they didn't do big grand parades like some of these other places do. They didn't do these private executive meetings with them. You had Brad Stevens picking him up at the airport. You had two players coming back from their off seasons to talk with him, say why he'd be great here, and that got the job done apparently. So big ups to the Celtics pitch. Now we also have Kyrie Irving. The whole saga over there. This time of year, you don't expect news this big, but over the last week, we hear Kyrie Irving is going to be up for trade. And now, all of a sudden, everyone in Celtics land wants to get a hand on this guy. And I'm going to talk about this extensively with Jared Weiss, who's going to be coming on the program with us. But what, what really is the Irving appeal? I mean, he's feuding with LeBron. You got Stephen A. Smith saying that he's going to beat his you-know if he ever sees him, which LeBron came out on Twitter and denied. And this is a player who has gotten into issues with teammates before in the past. Three years before LeBron arrived and brought Cleveland to three straight NBA Finals, you had a team with Dion Waiters, you had a team with Andrew Bynum, of course, in there. So who can forget Andrew Bynum? The team was a mess. We all know that. We've all acknowledged that at this point. We've also all acknowledged the all-time great talent that Kyrie Irving is. He's got the handles. He's got the finish ability. Two attributes to his game, which I think he might do better than any other player we've seen in NBA history. This is a guy who has the pure offensive tools to become a volcano at any single point in time. But let's make no mistake, this is a guy with holes. This is a guy with a major, major issue on defense. Even the great national writers will tell you that. Maybe there's potential on that end. Maybe they've seen flashes of some people has told me. But the overall body of work show so far has told us that Irving is one of the most lackluster defensive guards in this league. And now you have Celtics fans clamoring, chomping at the bit to get this guy in here. When meanwhile, your biggest complaint is Isaiah Thomas, second team, All-NBA, improved every single year he's been here with the Celtics, has played injured has fought them through extra rounds in the playoffs every single year. You want to see him shipped off in one second for the sky. And I hate to undermine how great of a player he is because Irving is certainly one of the best players in the NBA. But a guy who wants out of his current situation is fighting with the best player in the NBA in LeBron James and has many of the same issues as Isaiah Thomas, and I would argue passes worse than Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas showed that he can become 
a great facilitator when need be, when the defense is attacking him, when other guys have opportunities to score for themselves. This was a great passing team last year. And you want to ship Isaiah Thomas off. I'm sorry, but I just can't comprehend the notion that you'd give up this guy who's done so much for the Celtics and a heartbeat for Irving. And not only Isaiah for Irving, which of course would not be done in a million years by the Cavaliers, but you'd give up extra assets. Jay Crowder, maybe a young player even I've heard thrown out there. Jalen Brown you'd give up for Irving. Doesn't that put you in a worse spot than you are right now? Aren't Irving and Thomas comparable players? I've certainly thought so for years and years now, but it seems that the LeBron factor has boosted Irving up to the status. Talk about Isaiah Thomas for just a minute here, because I made the brutal, inexcusable excuse as a host of a Celtics podcast to make you guys think that Thomas can be signed to an extension this summer. That is not true. I'll take full blame for that mistake. You need cap space to sign a guy to an extension, and they do not have cap space. But let's talk about Thomas and his impending free agency next summer. A lot of people are using that impending free agency as a reason to possibly throw him in a trade at this point for Kyrie Irving or whoever else. Let's talk about cap for a second. I love talking about cap, not nearly as much as our guest today or Keith Smith, our other writer over at Celtics blog, but when it comes to rebuilding, and the Celtics have certainly done that well to this point, the most valuable commodity you can have is cap space. There's certainly exceptions. The Brooklyn Nets now, with their lack of picks, don't need cap space nearly as much as anyone else, so they're throwing it out around all willy-nilly. And give them credit, they've gotten themselves D'Angelo Russell, they've gotten themselves Alan Crabb by sacrificing their cap space. But if you're a team with draft picks, you need cap space to facilitate larger deals, free agent signings, trades. You need to fit contracts in there with your young players who you're going to be using. The Celtics have done a phenomenal job doing that. You look at the Wizards now, who just signed John Wall for over $50 million a year. They're in cap agony right now. They just got their hand forced on Otto Porter to sign for nearly a hundred million dollars. I don't have the exact figures in front of me, but way more than they probably want to sign him for. That's a capped out team right now. The Wizards, the same team the Celtics just beat in seven games in the second round, the same team that has visible holes in front of them still. The Celtics are in a great position to be capped out and you got Al Horford still playing at the highest level. You have Jay Crowder on a team-friendly deal. Marcus Morris on a team-friendly deal. A ton of young players on cost control. You have Gordon Hayward as a max contract player. You love the sight of Gordon Hayward as a max contract player. That's why we're posting GIFs of fireworks on Twitter. So you're in a great spot capped out right now. There's no other free agent signings to be made on this team. Their goal is to work toward the future. So where's the, animo- where's the animosity of signing Isaiah Thomas to max contract money coming from? If they give him $3 million, $4 million less a year, is it going to make you happy? What deal is that going to facilitate? That's the question I ask. Because the cap space is gone, there's no visible trade in sight. So NBA contracts only go three, four years on a max 
if you're the one signing him back on your own team. So you really have doubts. And Isaiah Thomas, who has gotten better every single year he's been here, who's continued to add new dimensions to his game, who's shown that his offensive output far supersedes the weaknesses on defense that are made a big deal about every single day on here. And you're going to risk losing him just because you want to save 3 or $4 million? For what? The Celtics are moving in the luxury tax territory no matter what. If they want to compete for a championship, they're going to have to pay the luxury tax. There's no way around it. If you're winning championships, you need to pay the luxury tax, and your playoff revenue is going to pay for that. All those playoff tickets, a trip to the NBA Finals, that, that'll cover the luxury tax. That's why you pay the tax, to get more money out of your season. And Isaiah Thomas is a big part of that. I don't think people understand how big of a step back the Celtics could possibly take if their front man, the guy who takes all their ball time, the guy who takes most of their shots, is suddenly pulled out of the equation for what? Three or four million dollars? If a guy plays at a level like he has for years and years and years, that's what gets him a max contract. Look at all the guys across the league who are getting max contracts now. You think the Wizards want to pay Otto Porter a max contract? Look at those contracts on the Portland Trailblazers. And the guy who has been here for the whole come up on the Celtics. That's who you have worries, concerns about giving Max money to? I don't buy it. I pay him all the money he wants next year, and I believe in his ability to continue to put productive seasons out here well into his 30s. And that's all you got to worry about, four seasons. Do you really expect Isaiah Thomas to become a useless player in the next three to four years? Maybe he'll be less than what you want him to, but by that point, the cap goes up even more. So suddenly, Isaiah Thomas's max contract doesn't look as bad as a max contract does right now under this current cap. I don't understand where the animosity comes from on Thomas. We'll ask Jared Weiss when we come back. See you on the other side. Kyrie did not know that LeBron was coming back to Cleveland. So Kyrie was salty from that moment. Now, it doesn't mean that they had a contentious relationship. They've talked on many occasions. According to my sources, LeBron James has tried to appease him at every turn. A matter of fact, I had sources in LeBron James camp literally tell me, and I'm quoting, I'm quoting Charles, if Kyrie, was, if Kyrie Irving was in front of LeBron James right now, LeBron James would be tempted, quote, to beat his ass. End quote. Welcome back to the Banners broadcast. Enough for me. Let's talk to our guest today. And our guest is on the house since we have no sponsors yet. He is the host of the Garn Report and one of the people you read regularly over at CelticsBlog.com. He is Jared Weiss coming to us from his house. How's it going? It's good. It's good to be actually in my own house with working Wi-Fi for a change. Yeah, it's very smooth. Nice, crisp, crisp image of you on my screen right here today. Uh, I'm very jealous, by the way. You got to see the uh, damn tour last week, Kendrick Lamar. Someone told me, a very hidden source told me that you got some really nice price scalp tickets right on the street. <laughs> I wish. I had to pay... Oh, what one like it was like one forty or something like that for those tickets. That's a I, that's a deal for that concert. Are you kidding? It, me? You know what the key is? I'm going to let all of the listeners here have a little secret. I'm buying tickets if you want to go see a concert at the Garden. There's always a few sections in the loge that have an obstructed view in there to the side of the stage. 
I've gone to I've done this movie like four or five times now, and I've never had a view that was actually obstructed. And you're right next to the um, right next to the uh, stage. You're like it's like almost sitting courtside for like almost sitting front row. It's it's great. So I had a, I was like maybe like ten to fifteen rows back, basically of the stage, and I was paying half of what the people that were paying to sit like in the the pit, like right in front of the stage. Probably less than half, honestly, but. That's the trick I always go with. I did it for the Yeezus tour, for Dam, for I think when I saw the weekend. I mean, it's it works pretty well. So maybe one person that watches the show is allowed to do that. So I don't <laughs> want people stealing my seats. Alrighty, good advice there from Jared. Let's get some other advice on the other team that plays in the TD Garden. Well, not team, but anyway. Talk about the Bruins. All right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So Kyrie Irving, I. Dug in the Kyrie Irving in our first section quite a bit. I want to get your opinion on it because Celtics fans always hungry for the big move. Anytime a big guy's on the market, there's always going to be interest. Would Irving be the right guy? It, I'm I'm struggling to see the fit. I'm struggling to see all the guys you have to send out to bring him in. It just doesn't appeal to me. Maybe it's my own bias against Irving as a player. So I want to kind of hear your insight on the whole Irving fiasco since you are probably a more neutral voice on it than me. Yeah, I mean, I think that as far as what we saw last year kind of determining who's a better player, I think they're pretty even. There's a lot of pluses and minuses for each player. Frankly, they're both... Uh, I'd say elite offensive, elite, elite scorers, good passers, good ball movers, and mediocre defenders. Um, you know, I, I think it's really a push as far as who's the better player, which I'm sure will probably upset a lot of Celtics fans. But like, I'm not saying that Isaiah is worse than Kyrie Irving. I'm saying Kyrie Irving is as good as I Isaiah think the Thomas. way Irving's held up around the league. That's a compliment to Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're both elite players that would probably be the second or third best player on a title contending team. Um, so, as far as just like trading like those guys interchangeably, it makes sense to in a vacuum, forgetting the context of the trade situation here, it would make more sense of Kyrie Irving because he's three years younger. So you're essentially getting an entire extra contract out of him in his prime as well as an extra contract year on the current deal yeah so he's i mean he's 25 now but he's you know prime is usually 27 to 30 or 31 i would say Kyrie's in his prime now i mean he's he's clearly one of the best players at his position one of the best scorers in the league the issue i'm sure you can ask but the issue is basically adding in extra pieces to trade for Kyrie irving that's a secondary issue to just whether or not it's worth it to acquire Kyrie irving because the Celtics were not on that list of teams that was leaked by. It's on, it's starting to get a little unclear exactly who leaked what um, for that report where Chris Haynes and Windhorse had that list of a few teams. Celtics were not on that list, and why trade for a guy who put out essentially put out a list of teams he wants to go to, and you're not one of them. It's a good point. Also, you got to add in those other contracts, like you said, because Irving's still on that team-friendly deal. Or not Irving. Thomas is still on that team-friendly deal. Irving's making about $17 million a year. It's, it's very interesting because the dynamic of the East is at play, I would say. Um, Irving is one of the players on the Cavaliers who makes them who they are. It seems like they're going to really be crunched on time to get him out of there, especially since he really seems to be pushing to get out of there. Do you think his departure from Cleveland is really going to shake up the complexion of the East when it comes to Cleveland, when it comes to Boston? Even Toronto is running it back now. Toronto I'm not too worried about, although, I mean, they'll be good again, but uh, I think they've kind of plateaued at this point. Uh, 
so if there's no way to know at this point because we don't we really have no idea what the trade for Kyrie's going to look like they you know if they made like a trade with Phoenix where they got Eric Bledsoe and Josh Jackson they aren't I would I'd say they're still better than the Celtics but they're not clearly better than the Celtics like yeah. they are at this point with Kyrie uh you know Bledsoe I mean Bledsoe at his best is a comparable player to Kyrie even though he's not as good of a scorer he's a much better defender he impacts the boards pretty well um you know but Bledsoe hasn't stayed healthy Bledsoe we haven't seen what he can do in the playoffs with pretty you know Kyrie has really has been like an elite performer in the playoffs for the most part and like that's kind of that's a big part of why Cleveland is as good as they are because they can basically have two guys that are completely unstoppable in the playoffs and Bledsoe we just we have we don't really have a track record of that yet and then Josh Jackson will be a very good player at some point but in his rookie year he's gonna you know he'll probably do a lot of what Jalen Brown did frankly which is he was a good you know defensive playmaker uh loose ball playmaker stuff like that he'll get a couple shots here or there he'll make some good plays that'll make you really excited for him but he's not going to be a go-to guy right away so that would definitely close the gap I mean I wrote a column right after the Kyrie trade uh trade demand rumor came out or trade request rumor came out and that was kind of one of the main things I was focusing on is this kind of closes the gap between the two teams which opens the window of opportunity for Boston a little bit more the idea that Cleveland would be just as good after trading Kyrie Irving at least this year I think is pretty much completely out the window there's just no way you could trade an elite player who made a trade demand that's gone public and possibly get enough in return to be equal to the quality of what you're getting now so the gap is going to close either way it's just a matter of how much Jeff Clark made a little chart, trade chart for us that pretty much had every single uh, unit going back to Anthony Davis. Um, I, I actually don't remember if he put that up before or after the Kyrie Irving news broke because I think the way the Celtics approach things now might just change a little bit. We'll see. But before, it seemed like they were kind of gearing for this position where they were waiting for that post-LeBron era, maybe the post-Warriors era. Now it seems like that window of opportunity might be coming up for them to take complete control of the East. And then if you're in the finals every single year, you have as good of a shot as anyone at winning a championship. Do you think they might put that... Uh, you're shaking your head a little bit there. <laughs> no, I mean, like, that's true, but it's not that true in this case. Well, I'll ask you. Do you think they put any of their philosophy of building toward the future aside should a impact player come up now that it seems like Cleveland might be disbanding over the next year and a half? Or do you think they're still going to stick to let's build up Tatum, let's build up Brown and be that big team in a couple of years from now? I mean, you brought up Anthony Davis, who's the guy that I've been talking about for a while now. He's the only guy that really changes the course of this team. Um I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna throw all that for Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. mostly because obviously it's like if you're trading for Kyrie Irving, it really only makes sense to trade Isaiah Thomas. They're very duplicative, and they're duplicative in a way that I don't think can really be worked out necessarily on this team. The way that they can work out having duplicative wings and stuff like that. Like Kyrie wants to get traded somewhere where he is he's, he's running with the ball the entire time. Not and I mean. They can make Isaiah permanently an off guard, uh, but the, their lineups together defensively would be pretty bad. So yeah. I'm not sure, not sure how you know, how viable that is. But 
it's not a terrible idea, obviously, to put two of the probably eight or nine best scores in the NBA together in the same backcourt. Could be could be pretty good. There's just right now I don't see anyone really besides Anthony Davis possibly hitting hitting the market currently that I think could really change the direction for this team. Um, obviously, LeBron would be one of those guys, and even at LeBron's age, they would probably they probably throw at a bunch of stuff if they could uh, if they could get you know if they could interest him because like they're going to be capped out to the point that they can't make a make a direct move for him, but they could probably I'm pretty sure they could do a sign and trade if they wanted to. So that is probably out of the realm of possibility, but I wouldn't rule it out because people think they know what LeBron is going to do, and then LeBron surprises everybody, so we'll see. Although it sounds like he's probably going to be a Laker anyway, or at yeah. least everybody thinks he's there's a well, good I chance mean, he's going to be a Laker. Him, him being at that summer league game was as sure a sign as any that there's some interest there. there I mean, what else would be he be doing courtside at a Lakers uh, summer league game? I, I would say, you know, you're not completely wrong, obviously, but I would say that like that that game, the games that he was going to, those were like the games that people wanted to see. People were going, to, all the players were going to Vegas because they wanted to see Lonzo play. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately say that's like the connection there is that he's interested in playing for them as much as that he. I mean, obviously he is, and obviously he's interested in Lonzo. But that was like everybody was showing out in force for to watch Lonzo play and watch the Lakers play. So I would, I wouldn't make that as hard evidence, but I definitely would add it to the uh, to your bulletin board. Of of all the dots connected to LeBron <laughs> and Magic Johnson. I would definitely draw a line over to that we, one. We might as well change the front page of Celtics blog to this big grand scheme with a million different things just plucked up on top of each other. That's how it feels talking about the Celtics every day. But let's throw it back about 24 years now to simpler times for the Celtics when it was all about Reggie Lewis and then tragically one day he just wasn't there for them anymore. Of course, me being 19 years old, I wasn't alive for that. I really don't recall anything about Reggie Lewis. I don't have the emotional attachment to him. I know the whole story and all that, but you being a little bit older than I am and you know being engraved in the Celtics for a longer period of time than I am, I think you could give some of our viewers, some good um, reminiscing of those times, what Reggie Lewis meant to you. I know Keith Smith did a good um, article on the site about what Lewis and that huge tragedy for the Celtics 24 years ago meant to him. Yeah, I'm not that old, so I don't I don't remember it. I was I'm trying to remember exactly how old I was at the time, but I, you know, I did hear about it because, like, I mean, I grew up a season ticket holder. My dad was biggest fan in the world he my dad had season tickets from i think 1975 until i want to say 2010 or 11 or so he was there for forever mm-hmm. and he remembers exactly where he was when len bias died when you heard the news that reggie lewis died so i mean i remember my dad just like being bewildered and i remember just i it was one of the first times that i heard about death really so for me, I was two. I was probably somewhere between three to five years old. I can't remember exactly the year off the top of my head right now, but I, I couldn't understand what was going on. But I could understand that he was that he was gonna that he wasn't gonna be there anymore. And I was it was like a little bit before I can remember everything. But just all, going back and watching Reggie all these years, it's funny because like Reggie Lewis seems like the kind of player that was like a decade before his time, or really like fifteen twenty years before yeah, his time. It's a good. He's point. like. He's like the kind of player now that would be seen as like the ultimate player. You know, he's like this long, rangy, tough, great ball handler, guy that could shoot, guy that could really score from everywhere. Um, 
you know, it's it's incredible to think that you know, it's so rare that an NBA player dies, and the fact that the Celtics, like two great prospects that they acquired in the post, yeah, the fact that they lost lost them both, both, it's like it's insane. It's unlike I don't think there's anything like it ever in sports history. Um, and it's the only, literally, the only thing that stopped the, the Celtics from continually having a dynasty throughout their yeah, entire. Yeah, I was just going to say it. I mean, you had the '60s, '70s, less so, and then the '80s. Of course, the Celtics' dominance, and with Bias and with Lewis, you think that would have just spanned right through the '90s, but instead, the '90s ended up becoming those dark ages for the Celtics, and they had that drove from '86 to '08, which just seems unbearable to think about now, especially with the short little rebuild we've seen this team have. Speaking of this team, and that span just shows you how unbearable it can be as a basketball fan to go through, you know, different coaches and different rebuild plans and just inconsistencies that keep you out of contention for so long. We're talking about four years now that the Celtics are pretty much back in. This rebuild they've jo- job they've done is going to go down as one of the greats ever, especially if they cap it off with the championship. And... In general, what do you what do you think of their positioning right now at this point? I mean, is this as good as it could be? It feels like some people feel it could be a little better. Do you think they're on pace at this point to win a championship within the next few seasons? And where do you think the next plan from here is going to be? You know, I mean, they're definitely on track. The, the only, I think, the only major road bump that they've hit besides not winning. Uh, the first or second pick last year's draft, although right now Jalen Brown is at least the best of the top three prospects, although that could change soon because Ingram looks great and uh, Ben Simmons could be awesome this year. But really the only major bump in the road is the cap projection following uh, falling $9 million, which forced them to have to trade away Avery Bradley. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, that, that trade, it wasn't like a, it was, it was really, it was a, I would say it's more of a lose, lose kind of trade than a win, win kind of trade. I mean, the Celtics were screwed in to this position where they had to get rid of one of their guys. And the fact that they got a good, like a good rotation player in Marcus Morris, who's like a decent starter will be a valuable player with her. I mean, I, I, I think I, I have a feeling that Aaron Baines is going to end up starting. Just they always have started two big guys. So yeah. just just kind of keep the pressure off of Al Horford to be a pivot defender in the first quarter. But we'll see. They, I mean, it makes the most sense for them to start uh, Morris. So we'll see what happens. But they really every move has gone fine so far. Every just about every draft pick in the last couple of years has worked out. I mean, the last pick that didn't work out was really James Young. I guess you could say RJ Hunter as well. But so far, things are going pretty well. I mean, Terry Rozier looks really solid. Um, Marcus Smart, even though he hasn't, like, I mean, he's he's made good progress throughout his career. I mean, we'll see what happens. He has to, like, he knows he has to be a semi-reliable shooter for him to be a useful player for him really to have a good market for himself next year. Uh, but all these guys have been good. You know, Marcus Smart. You compare him to like Julius Randle, the guy they took him over. It's like Randle's been a pretty comparable player. Like he's been he's been really he's been really promising defensively. Has some good offensive skills, but overall hasn't quite put it together. And he's also had a lot of injury uh, issues. But people in in uh, L.A. are looking at Julius Randle and they're thinking this guy shows a ton of promise. So we can see a lot of like the components there, but he doesn't have the complete package yet, and we're not sure if it's going to happen. So you know, really, if you just look at the relative expectations for all these guys I think they're all pretty much hitting it on the mark and 
I'm I'm very high on Jalen Brown's upside. I think I'm I'm towards the top of the heap there as far as analysts in the country on uh, what I think of Jalen Brown. I think he'll, I think he's going to be a pretty complete player. The, a lot of the stuff I saw that he really improved upon this season. He's made a lot of strides in his, uh, in his shooting motion. He's really tightened it up. I mean, there's so many just kind of like shades him. of Kawhi Leonard in there. Go ahead. Do you think he, for him to become this star player that a lot of people envision him as, do you think he has to shore up the ball handling issues we've seen with him? Because I look at that as his number one issue right now, the turnovers, his inability to kind of be the impact guy with the ball in his hands. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. You have to be a good ball handler that doesn't turn it over, that can drive through traffic. He is His footwork's great. I mean, people are talking about Tatum's footwork. Tatum's footwork is kind of more obvious because you're you're watching him kind of in these isolated post-up situations where you can really focus in on him. But Jalen's Jalen's footwork, I think, is pretty awesome. He's great on the move. He's so nimble and light on his feet. He, I mean, the fact that he came into the NBA and had a Euro step right away, I yeah. think, is incredible. Like that's so rare. There's so few guys that can develop that move effectively in the league. And to be able to do that your rookie year is like that, that I thought that excited me the way that people are excited about all the, like the mid post stuff that they see out of Tatum. Frankly, that stuff is like somewhat translatable, but you're not going to use it that much in, uh, in, in the regular system. season. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, they're going to see some of it. And like, I've, I was, um, you know, Brad, there's that hasn't been that much media availability with Brad since they drafted Jason Tatum. So the one time that I got to talk to him in person, I was asking him about, utilizing that skill set even though it doesn't fit into the the system that you currently run as much and he kind of dodged that second half part of the question <laughs> but but he talked about like how Jason has uh he has great footwork out of the high post out of the mid post but they need to teach him how to be strong in the triple threat how to you know how to like dribble through traffic and not commit turnovers how to read the double team better because he i think it was the last the last game that i was there for so i guess before the tournament phase started in vegas where team started doubling tatum when he would post up in like the high baseline and the first few times they forced a turnover, after about two or three turnovers, he started to figure it out. He would kind of stay a little bit higher, keep the ball back up so he'd be ready to throw the pass. And as soon as the second guy would come over for the trap, he would be able to dump down out of it, and he started becoming effective that way. So he's he's learning, but he has to. his game can't be... You know, backing himself into a corner and then taking a fadeaway jumper because, yeah. like, while he can hit it, and you know that was KG's signature move. That was Kobe had that as a signature move too. It's like while they can hit that shot, it's not. It's a. It's like one of the worst percentage shots in the NBA. The Celtics are about maximizing efficiency. They're about maximizing their opportunity. This team. I mean, Brad Stevens was talking about it last year in the playoffs about how like they measure their performance on quality of shot opportunities created, not necessarily about baskets. Like obviously at a certain point, if you keep losing, you have to evaluate yourself and actually making the shot. But that is the exact kind of shot that this team shies away from. It's yeah. useful to have it. It's good to have some ISO because you need it sometimes mm-hmm. as the Celtics learn the hard way, but it can't be a go-to part of your system. Yeah, and I think that's what drove some people crazy about the Tatum pick in general is how he fits in this system. There's definitely going to have to be some pretty significant adjustments to how he approaches the game for him to be able to get some opportunities within this current team that we see right now. Speaking of this current team, this is what I really want to get to with you today because I think you'll have some interesting insight on it. 
The training staff overhaul has been substantial. We see Ed Mosseret go out the door after 30 years. We see the um, strength and conditioning coach remind me of his name. Brian Dew. Brian Dew. Or B. Dew. After a long period of time with this team. And... And 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 just to just to be fair, we also have to include the legendary massage therapist Vlad Shulman as well. So it's, we it's don't, incredible. Like this is yeah. a legendary group, a highly respected training staff around the league. Jay Crowder had an Instagram post. He seemed to be upset about these guys leaving. And it just seemed to shock everybody who's been around the team for years and years and who have known these people going back decades. And you'd watch these national broadcasts and you'd see these um, commentators send these guys praises whenever there's an injury, and then just like this, they're gone. I I don't know how much you've, reporting you've done on this. I don't know how much insight you have on these guys or the, what the plan is in general. But what's going on here? Well, first we'll talk about the people that left. Um, I mean, I've known Ed and Bidu for a long time. I think I think I met them even before I started covering the team. They are. They have always been just amazing to talk to. Um, I actually flew back with Ed uh, from Vegas, uh, where he, he slept the entire flight. Luckily for him, I, just, I couldn't, couldn't, literally couldn't sleep at all. It was completely. My body clock was totally destroyed, um, and I didn't get the impression that that this had happened at that point. And I think it came out a couple of days later, maybe you know half a week later or so. So he, he certainly didn't, certainly didn't seem like anything was happening at that point, you know. And Bidu, same thing. I've talked to Bidu so many times uh, over the years. He's given me so much guidance and kind of insight into how things work for them. Uh, kind of helped me steer clear of making any mistakes from a medical or training perspective as well. Uh, same thing with Ed. I mean, these guys have always been great. Um, uh, it's I think it's important to note that. So, like, they're great, and they're absolutely beloved by the players and by the team. Everybody loves them. They've always been great at their job, as far as you can tell. But, like, most of – like, of all the things that, like, we can get insight into, I think the work that is done on on a medical side is the thing that you get the least insight into from the outside because that's stuff that they're generally trying to protect. They're not – people are generally not really talking about medical stuff. Um, So it's hard to judge from the outside exactly whether or not they're doing a good job or not. And I'll use the classic Brad Stevens, I'm not a doctor, to say that I'm not going to pass judgment on the medical or training performance on those guys. Um, The fact is they've had – They've had a, uh, I wouldn't, I would say a relatively inordinate amount of kind of minor um, arthroscopic injuries over the years. So, you know, guys, a lot of guys dealing with, you know, strains and stuff like that. Stuff that seems like it could build up over time. I mean, the Isaiah Thomas hip tear thing obviously is, it's kind of surprising that they weren't really ahead of the ball on that. I guess you know, pun intended. Um, and I mean, you definitely can't blame the strength and conditioning coach or the train athletic trainer for that. Uh, but Especially you know, it seemed like Thomas wanted to play on it. Yeah, well, like, I mean, like you know, the players are always. It's very rare that a player isn't going to try to play through an injury. You have to tell them. You have to. Phys- you have to force them. You have to like take their sneakers away from them. Um, <laughs> But so I think that was maybe part of the motivation for wanting to clean house was that they've had these issues and they they just want to bring in new staff to try to maybe figure. I'm sure they have a pretty decent understanding of what what the issue is. They still have the the same team physician Brian McKeon who's been their team physician for a long time. As far as I know, I haven't heard anything about that changing. Um, 
But so I think the big the reason I think the main reason why these guys are gone. I mean, uh, Bidu was offered a uh, different role. I, I don't believe Ed was offered a different role, and I'm not sure about Vlad. Um, Bidu was apparently offered a different role. He decided to turn it down um, because, frankly, he works like crazy. He has a very successful private training company that just works with a lot of really successful people. Um, so he, he has plenty to fall back on there. Um, I'm sure Ed will be a professor at BU by this semester or something like that. I'm sure, <laughs> or get another gig. Yeah, he'll be, for your alma mater. He'll, oh, hey, he he went to my alma mater. Um, and now the new the new um, director of performance, Art Horn, also went to BU. So, you know, if you want, if you want, if you want to go far, uh, go to BU. But so, um, <laughs> as you show. <laughs> but so, I like they were both wearing red too. That worked out well. Um, well this, this is a run the jewel shirt, not a uh, not a BU nice, shirt, nice. but. The so basically they have the partnership with GE, which put they're going to be basically investing a lot more in sports science. They've been kind of behind the ball as far as having like a full sports science department. So they're trying to play a little bit of catch up there. Yeah. And I guess they decided if they're going to do if they're going to do a full sports science department, then they're going to they want to bring in people that have experience running these departments. Mm-hmm. And Art Horn, who has been with the Hawks for the last two years was at Northeastern before, was kind of renowned for, you know, having a connection between, like, the the, um, the evaluative side and the strength training side and all that, where those are always two different, basically two different silos within the strength, within the training program at a team, and he was known for being on top of those and kind of blending the two together. So that's what they're going for here. With their GE partnership, they're going to have a lot more technological capability there's all sorts of stuff that I um, have gotten a little bit of a glimpse into, but not enough to really talk about publicly. But uh, a lot of stuff that seems pretty fascinating for what they're going to be able to do. Um, you know, I, I assume everybody's getting a full MRI every single week to make sure that there's no potential hip tear, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, all sorts of pretty cool well, stuff what, that they're trying to work out. That's what this whole thing kind of struck me as is this new much, so much new technology out there, so many new devices and stuff. For you to be keeping track of every single movement on the court, every single nick and tear and injury, pretty much anything you can imagine. And it does seem like you want some newer age people to be in there who have firsthand experience using these new technological capabilities, who pretty much have come up using these through their careers. Quickly, in the new CBA, they formed something I have been excited for for a long time, was a wearables committee, where they have a committee of doctors and teams and um, technological experts that are basically creating a short list of um, of uh, bio bio wearable devices, whatever the hell it's supposed to be called, but <laughs> you know biotech devices that players are going to be wearing in games now, where they're going to be able to get all sorts of uh, physical de- data on physical intensity, movement, stuff like that, with the goal of basically limiting injuries. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be the first year where they're going to actually be able to put wearables on while they're on the court, which is going to be pretty exciting because um, a lot of teams have been practicing with different devices, stuff like that. Uh, there's like uh, I think it's Whoop is one of them, which I think is actually Boston based, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and there's a few other different devices. I don't think players are going to be running around wearing Apple Watches or Fitbits <laughs> or stuff like that, but they're going to have stuff put you know, kind of sewn into their jersey, in their shoes, stuff like that, very small devices, which you probably won't see. Right now, the one that's really that's been really common is one that's placed on the back of their jersey between like the it's like right above their name. I think has a little green light on it, so sometimes you'll see it on the back of players during practice. 
Um, and that's one of those kind of devices. But they're going to become used more frequently. We're probably going to get the idea basically is to avoid stress injuries that build up like the one that Isaiah had yeah. is to try to basically detect when players are running weird, stuff like that. And basically stop an ECL tear or a labrum tear from happening before it even happens. It's a good point because a lot of the injuries we've seen over the last two years seem like those kind of injuries. Bradley with the hamstring two years ago. Um, it's just it's just interesting stuff. And we've hit our 30-minute mark, so I think it's a good time to jump into some rapid-fire questions I want to get out before the end of here. Normally we do voicemails from the people around this time, but the people must be on vacation. They must be doing something more interesting. Not many this week, 978 744 is where you can leave your voicemails for us every week. Luckily, a few smaller stories sprung up that I want to kind of hit on you rapid fire with. Shane Larkin's in here, 16th player. Seemed a little odd to some people at the time. I don't think we really have the full details on his contract yet, but what do you think the um, significance of the Larkin signing is? So it's it's a one-year minimum contract. I had a source close to the player tell me. Um, the so people were surprised as I, as was I at the time. I was like, "What does this mean?" Because it was early in the morning for me. I hadn't had my coffee yet, and then I you know, I made a few. Co- I talked to a few sources, and I was like, "Oh wait a second. Yeah, I, was, I talked to a few sources, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? How could I forget?" Every year, the Celtics bring in sixteen, at least sixteen guys in the camp, and they every single year have cut one of their minimum players. They, they do it every year. They cut James Young last or I'm sorry, RJ Hunter last year in favor of James Young. The year before that, they had Zoran Dragic earlier in the year, Goran yeah. Dragic's brother, who they had to cut and he just guaranteed money. And then Perry Jones the third they cut right at the end of camp. I'm trying to remember, I feel like there was someone a year or two before that. But just about every year they bring in extra players and they cut one of them because I mean, they're eating the money, but it's like the money's relatively small to them. It doesn't affect their cap situation. So they're over the salary cap, but well under the tax. So at this point, eating that extra million and a half or two million or whatever it is, it doesn't really it doesn't really affect them other than that they're just wasting that money. But it's not going to affect their cap. It's not going to push them into the tax. Uh, so they're fine. Um, it's going to come down to Larkin or Tias and maybe Abdul Nader. Um, you know, Nader... I thought was a little more safe. I thought he had some partial guarantees in the second year of his deal, but I, I, it actually sounds like it's just the first year guaranteed. Uh, so, you know, it could be a really interesting competition. Each of those players serves a need. I think there's more guys in the way of Abdel Nader that, that kind of block him there, but they, they really liked what they've seen out of him. Uh, but yeah. Tia, ser- Tia serves a need that Aaron Baines kind of serves, but he's got a little more potency, I think, at the rim. And he's got a little more range on his shot, but obviously Aaron Baines has really established his capability over the years. And then Larkin, you know, Isaiah, I don't expect Isaiah Thomas to be at full strength, you know, to start the year. I mean, he's rehabbing without surgery from a major injury. So they might really need Larkin as a third guard early on. And, um, you know, Larkin might, he's, he might be the second best pick and roll guy on the team right now besides Isaiah. And I guess Hayward is better. So third best pick and roll guy on the team. He presents a lot of value. He's a super explosive transition player. He can run the pick and roll and score out of that. It's pretty much all he can do. I mean, he's got like a 40 plus inch vertical, so he can pound the boards too. But like they've already got, they already got Marcus and Terry to pound the boards in the point no guard position. So it's not. Yeah, exactly. He's scary Terry. He's, he's incredible on the board. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. He had uh, about 7 per 36 that first year. I was like, what? 
So anyway, former Celtics in the news. Jared Sollinger reportedly had a mental breakdown last year with the Toronto Raptors. He's playing in the basketball tournament. And reports seem to indicate that he will probably be playing in China this season. We know the Sollinger conversation well. We had it so many times covering him here and his eventual demise here came down to those issues he had, whether it was mental, physical, certainly he had issues, and those sort of hit ahead in Toronto where he ended up getting cut, and no one's given him a chance since. you got Isaiah Thomas out there vouching for him, Evan Turner's out there vouching for him, but it doesn't look like he's going to catch on with the club, which is interesting, because the guy does have potential. He's a huge body. He's a rebounding machine. He had great, great moments in Boston. The beginning of, uh, I want to say, 15-16, he was one of the top 15-20 player efficiency rating guys in the league the very beginning of that year, and then it all went downhill from there. What do you think his biggest issue is, and do you think he's ever going to be able to catch back on? I mean, his biggest issue is obvious. It's the weight. Um, you know, but it's more than that. It's the work ethic work ethic from a perspective of really improving himself and being committed and consistent. That was the issue. He just, he wasn't committed. He wasn't consistent when it came to being in shape and it came to just making the right choices. I am an overweight Jared. I very (laughs) much, very much can empathize with the situation. I've known Jared for a long time. I think I've been covering the team as long as he's been in the NBA. So I got to know him over the years and I liked him. I really did. I think everybody likes him. He was obviously immature. He acted immature. He was always goofing around. He was never really serious. He had a, uh, he played... he had a charge as well, um, domestic abuse that kind of hit him early in his time. That, you know, that was one of the weirdest things I've been around that happened a little early in my career there, his career too. And it was a situation that disappeared very eerily. Well, that's and... why I always, I always bring it up because it seems like people forget it all the time. Yeah, and I mean – you know, it's not it's not like OJ where like you know you can see OJ be like charismatic and you're like and you're like come on this is BS like yeah. Jared had that bad moment and I'm sure I think I've heard of other moments not necessarily like domestic abuse level but like he's gotten into fights and stuff like that before he's had his moments but like overall he's not a he's not a bad guy he's very well liked by his friends he's done a lot of stupid immature stuff you know Big Baby was the same way it's very similar where he was. You know, I think Big Baby was a lot less liked than Jared was, both by people outside the team and inside the team. Um, people generally are just frustrated with Jared. It's the same way. It's weird saying my name like that out loud. Uh, it was the same thing with Jeff Green. You know, People are just so frustrated with Jeff Green because they heard him over and over saying, I need to be more aggressive, and then his game just not changing whatsoever. Yeah. And you know, Jeff Green certainly was in amazing, like, insane shape, so that definitely wasn't the issue. But... Um, you know, people just get tired of people saying, I got to do this, I got to do that, and then not getting it done. I, I'm i guilty of that. We're all guilty of that, and it sucks. But, you know, the basically the problem is that when you're Jared Solinger, if that happens enough and you get injured enough because of it, teams aren't going to want you anymore. And at this point, it's, you know, I've been hearing, people are asking me about Brandon Jennings, what's going to happen there. I kept telling everyone, Brandon Jennings is going to be in China this year. And sure enough, earlier today, he signed in China or yesterday, whenever it was, because um, I've been hearing that people were just they saw the habits. They see the way that he plays and they just nobody wants a part of it anymore. People would rather try someone younger that they haven't really seen much out of at a certain point than try to see the basically They want to see you go off 
to Europe or the D League and prove that you can pull it off there, and then they'll give you another chance. And at this point with Jared, it's like he's been hurt every single year now, and everyone knows what he can do when he's healthy. He's a very talented player. He was one of the better players at his, at his position in the league for his age group for a while. And he was effective as a player for a while, and that was despite trying to be a shooter and really being about a 25% three-point shooter. If he even got to league average at 35%, he would have been like a real, he would have been like a solid starter in the NBA. He would have been like what Marcus Morris is basically right now. Um, so, or I guess more of like a David West type player, but he would he would have been a pretty damn good player. So, I think a lot of people just want to see him around the NBA, they want to see him have a year where he proves that now that he's pretty much lost everything that he can climb back out of that hole. And Toronto gave him that second chance and it didn't work out there for beyond being hurt, but all the things that he talked about, which by the way, is someone who is no Jared has had a good relationship with Jared and has criticized him and also praised him many times, including in the spiel I'm doing right now. I was really sad to see what he was saying um, about having a mental breakdown. It was really, really sad to hear, um, you know, having a good cleansing cry to try to get through a situation was good. Yeah. Having what you're calling a mental breakdown is a very sad thing. And I really hope he gets better emotionally and can just get his career on track. Cause he's like a good play is a good guy and a good player. And it's just a total waste for him not to have a good career. And I really it's hope incredible. he's able to. We, we had those two big men for years battling there in those positions, starting at one time in Kelly Olenek and Jared Sullinger. And I think if you looked at both of them when they were just getting started, just some pure ability, it seemed like Sullinger was going to be the better player of the two. And now you have him out of the league and Olenek getting a major deal with the Miami Heat had his big shining moment in Game 7 before he left. I always saw parallels between those two and some of the expectations people had in them. And to see Olenek kind of flow way above what Sollinger ended up doing was very surprising to me if you go back to the very beginning and see what both of them brought to the table back then. Anyway, we've had our time for today. That's Jared Weiss giving us a ton of insight on the Celtics, as always. And we hit on a number of different stories that have been covered on CelticsBlog.com today. Reggie Lewis, uh, Jared's story about Irving and the complexions of the East, wrote on that over there, as well as Isaiah Thomas and some of the injury updates that we got out of him this week. A very eventful week for the end of July, as I said in the opening segment. Don't expect this much this time of year, but here we are. Anyway, thanks for joining Never us. Never stops. Thanks for joining us, Jared. We'll talk to you soon again here. Yes, loud. Yes, loud! Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up, and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Welcome.